Episode three. Episode three. Tris. That's my brother's name. Tris? Trace. Trace. Shout out to you, Trace. Shout out to you, Trace. You Who's... may be listening, even if you said, quote, episode one started off shitty, but then it got good. I think that's a credit to your taste. Hopefully that is not the majority of people's view but also hopefully analogous for our general trajectory like yeah okay if we start off shitty that's fine we've never done this before that's fair we could go in a good direction so what we were looking at the stats this morning and uh we just want to do a certain who do we need to shout out yeah so episode two if you recall we spoke about a certain diamond in the rough and the mean streets of kapahulu called bailey's antiques and aloha shirts baileys and after shouting them out they do not sell irish liquor cream no after after shouting them out and unscrupulously tagging basically every single brand or person that we mentioned except for except for ford chevy mazda etc they seem like their legal department has nothing to do and they may not like it no them and then this one more group of people that we're pretty sure are Nazis. We're not right. going to shout them out. Yeah, again. no. Again, again, just our opinion. Just our strictly opinion. our opinion. Just, we don't want to defame anyone. Yeah, but it is just our personal opinion. Personal opinion after after doing research on the people comprising that group that eh, Nazis. Yeah. yeah, that's just our opinion. That's, that's neither here nor there. Take it or leave it. Anyway, back to Bailey's. Back to Bailey's. Leanne McIntyre. Now, is that a cross between Leanne Womack and Reba McIntyre? To my knowledge, no. Smoky Mountain Barbecue. Leanne McIntyre. Yes. Who, who according to her Facebook page, okay. worked. Past, past tense. tense. Past tense. Okay. But obviously still follows yes. Bailey's Antiques and Aloha shirts. Liked our official podcast pages share of episode two in which we shouted out Bailey's Antiques and Aloha Yo, shirts. brand loyalty. Brand loyalty. Much like the loyalty that we have to Rain Spooner. Leanne Womack, if you're listening, shout to you. Shout out to you, Leanne. Uh, also, shout out to the other brands that we mentioned. Yeah. Rain Spooner. Tori Richards. Tori Richard. Hook Roberta it up. Oaks. Roberta Oaks. We seriously we'll, would love we'll some wear it. shirts. We'll, we'll, give us what you got. Give us, give us the B-roll of yeah. your shirts. Or like, you know, oh, you know, I'm not quite satisfied with this pattern. Hmm, it could be tweaked. Give us that old pattern. Just give it to us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine taking just the, you know, the R and D shirts where you're trying <laughs> to figure out is this going to work? Yeah. On me, I'll wear it. I don't I have very little shame. So if you're looking for gangly howly models, mm-hmm. hit us up. This is Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Also, we're not gonna use every intro to every episode as a way to solicit brands. Just most of them. We're not going to use every intro to every episode to solicit the same brands. Yes. There's other brands. There's tons oh. of other brands who we'd be interested in having patronage from. We uh, I, we we love our brands. We love brands. We're about hashtag branding. Let's talk about some more brands. Who do you want? I'll tell you who I'd like. Hydroflask. Hydroflask. I use Hydroflasks. That's the sound of a Hydroflask hitting a table. Ryan, would you like to put your Hydroflask on the table as well? That's the sound of a double wall, vacuum insulated. Excuse me while I take a sip from my hydro flask. Is it cold? Cold as ice. Fuck you, Nalgene. Other brands. Who are you interested in? 
I feel like we're the only podcast in the world not sponsored by Squarespace. Yeah. With their intuitive drag and drop features, you can build a custom website that has you looking professional and competent. We do minutes. need to, we still need to make a website at some point. So Squarespace. Squarespace. If you want to pitch us. We'd be happy to listen. Let's get it on the ground floor. Honestly, if you pitch us, we'll just, I mean, if you think about it from an advertiser's perspective, yeah. obviously we're going places. This media empire is is growing rapidly. Like a rocket ship. Squarespace, we'd love to have you. Yep. If you just pitch us, just give us something for free. If you think uh, this media empire is only growing, you're going to get your money's worth and you're going to get it cheap. I mean, we'll essentially, we're selling ad spots for peanuts right now. So get it, get in while the price is low because it's going up. And you don't want to miss out. Now, you know what else is key to branding? Not just sponsorships, but I think we need to have feuds or beefs. So I think now it's officially time to lay down the gauntlet. With who? Hawaii Public Radio's Bite Marks Cafe. If you're listening, your reign of terror is over. We will liberate the radio waves. Bert Lum and... Other guy? Other guy. (laughs) You, your time is up. Yep. Sorry. We Sorry are, about it. We're coming. Do we want to start oh. a feud with them? No, they're 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 lovely. They do a great show. Yeah, they. I like their show. Yeah, I like all the Hawaii Public Radio. Hawaii program. Public Radio. That's a brand. For every sponsorship dollar Josh and I get before episode five comes out, that means you've got one whole episode to get us some sponsors. We will personally match that number and donate it to Hawaii Public Radio. Member supported. Member supported. Listeners like you. Josh. Yes. What is your favorite Hawaii public radio show? Hands down, not even close, Brazilian Experience with Sandy Sukiyama. I love that show. It used to be used to be Saturdays at 4. Now, Sundays 6 to 8 on HPR 1. My favorite HPR experience is Derek Malama in the morning where he says, It's 8 o'clock across the Hawaiian Islands. I'm Derek Malama. So also shout out to shout out to Ioani Stage Band Curtis Abe for introducing me to Brazilian jazz. I believe in ninth grade we played the song uh, Corcovado by Antonio Carlos Jobim. I was on the baritone saxophone and I was terrible. Wonderful. Um, but after like I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then one day driving home, I flipped on HPR and Sandy Sukiyama Brazilian Experience. That I was just it. imagine Brazilian music being repeats of the girl from Ipanema. Get out. Do, 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 that's just do, that's just do, like do, you know how do, you know how the do, dealer the you know how a crack dealer will give you your first time free because you know you'll come back? Yeah. That's what the girl from Ipanema is. Let's do the drop. Drop it. I'm trying to tell the world I'm nothing to be trifled with. Staying hotter than some rifles. So, you want to talk about some news? Let's talk about some news. So, some whack-ass shit is happening around America. Such as? So, in Arizona, supporters of President Donald Trump used racist language against dark-skinned members of the state legislature while rallying against immigration. And the the whole world collectively gasped. (laughs) I'm shocked. The Arizona Capital Times reported on Saturday. Now, in their... You know, the Arizona GOP, they've been, you know, rock stars at embarrassing the country for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this takes it to the next level. These, you know, Trumpians, in their infinite wisdom, uh, they approached 
One legislator in particular, and I'll just go ahead and read the article. One dark-skinned Arizonian who was asked if he was in the country illegally, illegally in quotes, was Rep. Eric Deshini, Democrat from Chinle. Rep. Deshini is a Navajo lawmaker. I'm indigenous to these lands, Rep. Deshini said. My ancestors fought and died on these lands. I just told them, don't ask me that question. If I were Rep. Deshini, I think I would have punched somebody in the dick. Yeah. A normal response to being asked if you were in a country which you were, in which you were a legislator yeah. and an elected leader. Yeah. I and your people, the indigenous people of these lands, survived a genocide? I think it's fair to do a dick punch if, yeah. you, if you were asked that question. Yeah. Especially by some low information infowars watching voter this is this is all a metaphor for the whole immigration debate in general you know like oh we need to speak english you know only like shout only, out tim james only immigrants from norway but bad shout out to tim james who's tim james he was a guy in alabama that said what do you say something like in alabama we speak english if you want to live here learn it he was running in the gop race for governor in like 2000 and I don't know, it's all they all run together. They're all the same, those guys. And that was his way of distinguishing and proving that he was more conservative than all the other false conservatives that were in the race was by taking a hardline stance against people of color. Like, you know, it starts at the top. Look at Trump. Like Stephen Miller, you know, the architect of... All the, you know, the end, the end of family. And also, you know, screw the term chain migration. The term, it should be called family reunification. And it's how every friggin' white person's family got here. Stephen Miller is like a, like a, a he's hair, a cartoon. He's like a hairball covered in Clorox that we're all being forced to eat. Yeah. This guy's a tool bag. Yeah, they're all tool bag. Shout out Eric Dushini. Yeah. Uh. A dick punch is probably warranted. Uh, if you do punch someone in the dick, we'll start uh, GoFundMe for your legal defense fund. Oh, did you see uh, Tommy Laren or Tammy Laren? I don't even know how you say her name. Tony Laren? Is it? Tony Lauren? Ralph I, Lauren? I've never actually listened to her speak. I Go ahead. I'll save you some time. It's, it's terrible. Once I realized that she was just a skinny, attractive, blonde female that Fox News could trot out as another talking head to say whatever racist crap that she wanted to say, I pretty much just wrote her off and yeah. have never listened. But I think she did create the, the word snowflake is what I understand. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, if you get so if you get so riled up that you need to go on national television and scream for 20 minutes every day. I don't know if you get to call other people a snowflake. So State of the Union, right? So uh, so too. JFK, not JFK. No, but the response, <laughs> the guy who gave the response. <laughs> Uh, it was it Joe Kennedy the third or the fourth? You know, JK, JK three, JK three, four, five. I don't know. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Um, seems like a nice guy. Give the response. You know, uh, a lot of basically just like the State of the Union and just like the response every year, you react to it based on what your political views are. Sure. If you're a centrist Democrat, you loved it. Mm -hmm. If you're on the left, you're like, well, do we really need another freaking white privileged Kennedy? Mm hmm. If you're on the right, he's a communist. But anyway, Tony, um, you know, in preparation for her epic takedown of Joe Kennedy on Fox News, jumped Is it up. Tony? Tony? Tammy. Tommy. Let's just, maybe, I don't know. Tawny. Anyway, Tawny jumped Tanya on. Tanya Laren. Tanya Laren. I, Tanya Laren. She said what? She was on the social medias uh, and 
allegedly, well, this is not allegedly, it happened. She was on the social medias, uh, and she referred to Representative Kennedy as a limp dick and a pre-transition Caitlyn Jenner lookalike. Which are things that you would want your talking heads to say? Let's let her word speak for herself. She's garbage. Yeah. Uh, Also, listeners, we talked about our president, Donald J. Trump, and we realized that neither of us knew what his middle name actually was. It's John. But. But. That's so bland. John is a little bland and doesn't really give you a sense of his panache and his cachet and his mysticism his, his essence his his real straight shooter tell it like it isness his joie de vivre and his blatant racism and complete ineptitude to do the job for which he's been elected la raison d'etre um, what we realize is a much better middle name mm-hmm. rather than john but keeping the j would be jabroni donald jabroni trump coined by i assume the rock in wwf Prior to, you know, World Wildlife Federation. Shout out Dwayne Johnson. Shout out Dwayne Johnson. McKinley Boy. So what we're going to do is we're starting a campaign. We're starting a movement all across the country, sweeping the nation. We're going to make t-shirts. If you're interested, get in touch. The shirts will simply say, the J is for Jabroni. And we'll have maybe a picture of Donald Jabroni Trump's face. And... But maybe just an outline. We have a bunch of graphic designer friends, and we'll get with them on that. Uh, but the idea, J is for Jabroni. And if you want a shirt, get in touch, and we'll get you one. Speaking of jabronis. Please. Representative Devin Nunes from California. What a jabroni. <sighs> this guy. This, so uh, everybody's probably been paying attention to this. What, you know... A good name for this whole situation in America would be Stupid Watergate. Yeah. Or Watergate, but for morons. Watered down. The famed, the secret, the right-wing echo chamber fever dream, this is going to totally exonerate Trump. It'll prove Hillary Clinton was running the FBI the entire time. The memo, which was four pages selectively cherry-picked from intelligence documents that Devin Nunes himself didn't actually read, that Donald Trump didn't actually read, that nobody actually read. Um, it was released to something between this, you know, the sad trombone and the whimper of a wet fart. Of course, all the clowns fall right in line, you know, as the House Republicans, Fox News, the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Seb Gorka, uh, noted Hungarian fugitive from the law. Real, real fact. Look it up. Uh, he's wanted for questioning in Hungary. On what? Uh, probably being a. Nazi sympathizer, weirdo. Yeah. And illegally thick facial hair. And Seb Gorka said about, you know, the situation, the contents of the memo will be 100%, excuse me, 100 times as egregious as the abuse of power by the British that led to the American Revolution. So it's Saturday morning. Uh, There has been no second American Revolution. Although we do live in Hawaii, so we're four hours behind. When asked about all of this, Paul Ryan, he said... Well, the tax cuts are working. What? Dang. What a jabroni. There, I mean, maybe it's, is it Paul J. Ryan? I think it's Paul D. Ryan. What does D stand for? Jabroni. 
Yeah. So the FBI was proven, you know, as a as at Krang T. Nelson, shout out to him, famous internet creature, Twitter celebutant. account, Celeb said uh, the memo could have been a quote, I'm quoting here, you know, want to make sure credit is, credit is given where credit is due because this is kind of like the Mona Lisa of tweets. Uh, the picture, the memo could have been a picture of an elderly cat's butthole and they still would have said it was a smoking gun that proved Hillary Clinton was running the FBI. And I think, unfortunately, most of the country already understood that instinctively. Mm -hmm. He just gave words to our collective emotion. Yeah. Now, uh, so it's, you know, the FBI, you know, to be fair, the FBI building is named after J. Edgar Hoover. We like to build monuments to bad people. Yeah. FBI, far from a perfect organization. Um, but, you know, let's, let's take it back to what Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, our national... Disgrace. Yeah. A cross between Paula Dean and Joseph Goebbels said, <laughs> you know, when you're attacking FBI agents because you're under criminal investigation, you're losing, she said to Hillary Clinton. In what year? Uh, 2016. 2016. Yeah. So now, now of course, you know... And she is... Attacking FBI agents and people because her bosses people people under people investigation the FBI almost more than anybody else probably more than Vladimir Putin is responsible for getting Trump elected. James Comey is James Comey. I love your Twitter game. I love Reinhold he's, Niebuhr. He's like, got so much swag on Twitter, but like we've really forgiven him quickly for putting this despot in power. Yeah, like why? Why did you like you wrote like they? Not and a week before election day, yeah. you have a freaking press conference to yeah. be like, "Oh yeah, we're still investigating the one who I think is more adverse to my political opinions." And of course, of course, like you know, previously they had said, "Well, Trump's not under investigation." The New York Times has still never retracted that article. Donald Trump was under the investigation by the FBI the whole damn the time. The whole time. <sighs> Huffington Post uh, published an interesting article based on two reports by the Anti Defamation League. It found in 2017, there were 147 incidents, in other words, a 258% increase of white supremacist flyers, banners, posters, stickers, recruitment found on college campuses in the 2017 fall semester. It's almost like they were emboldened by something. Yeah. And white supremacists have killed, excuse me, white supremacists killed in 2017 twice as many people as they did the year before. Which it's sad that we track how many people white supremacists yeah. kill, but but it's sadder that that number is going up. But I'm I I thought the biggest threat was uh, radical Islamic terror. Black just say the word. Black athletes kneeling during say football. The words radical Islamic terror. So MS13 not have not apparently made its way to Hawaii yet. No. Um, all we've got is the Hawaiian Mafia so far. Yeah. Shout out to them. Shout out Hawaiian Mafia. Holding it down. You know who you are. Wink. But so anyway, yeah. Like you said, I wonder if these groups have been emboldened by something. Yeah. If you want to keep playing your fascist, chic, confederate dress up, you know, that's fine. Like, But as we saw in Charlottesville, it's all fun and games until somebody gets murdered. Somebody gets, yeah. Somebody gets killed. Shot at, run over by a car, hit with a... Like a pole. Like. Yeah, you know where you you know what you know where you can stick your tiki torch. Yeah, Ra. Also, Robert E. Lee was a damn traitor. Knock all those statues down. If you had a capsule summary for episode three, it's that we don't like racism. 
Did you you watch that show on Viceland, Hate Thy Neighbor? I've watched it. Shout out Jamali. Great show. Shout out. But I was watching this episode. It was this dude from, they were in England. He was in like the London suburbs. This kid, maybe like early 20s, you know, no job, unemployed, on benefits. Uh, and he all he does with his free time is English Defense League, EDL, you know, talking about, oh, these Muslims coming over here, they're taking, like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Good English accent, by the way. Uh, like, all it shows is, you know, these guys, the people who get attracted to this, either their their life's not panning out just the way they thought and they need somebody to blame, or their only accomplishment in life is being white. And, you know, all of a sudden, it doesn't mean as much as it used to. I'll speak to that from personal experience. Uh not my own personal experience, obviously. I am, if you listen to a moment Ryan, ago. Ryan Little, uh, former member of the English Defense League. Yeah, I didn't want to All these Muslims coming over here trying to blow up our children. Oh, no, 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 no. I figured I'd wait till episode three to, to throw it out that I've been ghostwriting for the EDL for quite some time. No, no, no. I have a family member who voted for Ron Paul in 08 and then somehow went between 08 and now from, I think Ron Paul's a good person, to Hitler did nothing wrong and the Jews faked the Holocaust. And all of that stuff happens because their lives don't pan out how they plan. Yep. Because they uh, they don't see they don't feel as valued by the dominant zeitgeist, mm-hmm. uh, which thank God is trending toward diversity. And because they don't necessarily see a way out, and they don't deal with their anger about those issues well, mm-hmm. and they channel it into mass aggression in the form of you know political violence yep. or organization and it happens i mean I've, I've i saw it happen before my very own eyes and it's heartbreaking yeah and it happens the same way any other radicalism happens yeah. oh yeah now now you know now we're we're western chauvinists we're going to take credit for western civilization now like you know to now now we went from well let's tim here's a it's like somebody said what's a great marketing ploy and somebody said we hate the jews and they go actually no you know that one is not as hot as it used to be doesn't work as well and somebody goes what if we said we don't hate the jews yeah but we just act like we hate the jews yeah and well we hate the jews but like we really like israel because like they have the walled off ethno state that we want like lyndon johnson lbj said also parentheses everybody should go watch ken burns vietnam war but lbj said if you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the best colored man, and apologies, this is the 1950s We're reading a direct terminology. Quote. We don't use that term anymore. He won't notice that you're picking his pocket. In fact, he might open up his wallet and give it to you. And that's what we're seeing with Donald Trump, all his followers, and the Republicans in Congress who have gone right along with him. Because, you know, if anything has been proven, starting with, you know, how we evolved from, there's no way Donald Trump can win he's a total disgrace he's you know going to destroy conservatism to the fbi so basically republicans only care about power and we know they're going to enable trump they're going to cozy up to trump until they start losing elections so everybody else who thinks this is absolutely crazy needs to get out and vote something that we lose in the middle of all of this is the fact that the trump thing didn't just come out of nowhere it came out of a concerted effort to create an anti-government, um, anti-community, anti-facts, anti-facts, individualized libertarian movement, largely funded by the Koch brothers, the Mercer family, and other colleagues, 
that was only middlingly successful. It's, it's like when, you know, I'm sure there was some sort of national socialist movement in Germany prior to the one that successfully uh, put Hitler into power. I, there had to have been that party didn't or just start overnight. A far, a far right. There was a far and it, right. It didn't. You know, it didn't. Like in nineteen, as early as like nineteen twenty-one, Hitler was being arrested in Munich trying to like stir shit up. This didn't happen overnight. It happened over a long period of time and saw very limited success until a Republican-led government crashed the entire global economy. Yeah. And it put people in positions where they had to make tough choices, where they had to go without through no fault of their own, only the fault of the people who were empowering those who are already in power with their money, with their time, with their support. They crashed the entire global economy, and the anger of that is still echoing in now. And what we're seeing from it is a willingness to do just about anything to ensure that something like that doesn't happen again, to ensure that somebody never feels that powerless over their own fate again. And so when someone comes in and says, I'm the man who can fix this, I'll never let you feel that way again, uh, that message resonates. And I think that's what that's essentially Trump's message is I'm the good one and all the other ones that wrecked it before are the bad ones. And you can trust me. I'm your guy. Suckers. Welcome back to Blue Hawaii, brought to you by Taco Bell, Lift Moss. That's not entirely true. Fourth meal. Fourth meal, that's a real thing. That's all I've got to say. We're very excited to be joined by our good friend, Alan Akau, a.k.a. Tough Gong, a.k.a. TG, a.k.a. Trap God, a.k.a. Gongzilla, a.k.a. Are we, is there any other? That's good. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Alan Akau. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alan. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Alan, before we get started, I noticed that you have a water bottle over there. What, what type of bottle is that? I use the Hydro Flask. It's Hydro a Flask. very popular and very amazing water catchment system. Yeah. Hydro Flask. You heard it here first, folks. A very popular and amazing water catchment system. And I see you've uh, you've customized your Hydro Flask. Actually, you've got some stickers on it. I do have some stickers. Um, you can mix and match. You can change it up. You can you can make it your own. Customize, represent your style. Now, for those of you don't who don't know, Alan works at the Hawaii State Legislature, but he is strictly here in his personal capacity. Yeah, that's correct. Now it's been a very interesting week. We made the national papers. We did. We, we is did. in Hawaii. We is in Hawaii. Uh, Gene Park, writing in the Washington Post, had some had some words to say. Some uh, uh, sh- words to say. Strong words. Strong words. Essentially, uh, the title of the article, his thesis, was that Hawaii rewards incompetence, and that's what put the series of events into motion that led to our little nuclear false alarm. Yeah. Now, uh, everybody was talking about this all over town. I was in the elevator at the Capitol, and two young interns were saying. Oh my gosh! Did you see that article? Oh, I didn't know. And they were quoting, they were referencing, uh, in a way to sort of illustrate our, you know, Hawaii's issues with leadership competence. Uh, apparently, in two thousand six, Time Magazine put out its five least effective senators, and they named Hawaii's Senator Daniel Akaka on that list. And first of all, I would just like to say this is not directed at Gene Park. This is directed at Time Magazine, traveling back in time to two thousand six. 
keep Danny Akaka's name out your mouth. Yeah, I agree. That's first of all, that goes without saying. Sir but I'll say it anyway. Very proudly. Yes. Yeah. Now, Alan, what do you when you you read that article? I did read that article. What do you think? So, you know, I totally disagree with the the notion that you know the state government rewards incompetence as if like the more incompetent you are, the better and you know, more successful you will be, you know, in state government. That That's, you know, honestly not true. Um, and I think, you know, what it does reward is, you know, loyalty and continued service. So, you know, after years and years and years of working there, you know, they see some value and they kind of let things that um, someone newer, if they were to do um, make a mistake or something like that, that, you know, they'd be a little bit harder. But, you know, if someone's your senior, someone who's put in the time and only up until that point in their career hadn't made any major missteps, you know, if they make a mistake after 10, 15, 20 years of, of service, you know, are we supposed to treat them as if they're a fresh hire and that, you know, they don't deserve, um, you know, getting some sort of um, some leeway and say, hey, you know, people make mistakes. I've been serving and I've been, you know, doing the job. And it's easy to criticize the one mistake that I make in 20 years instead of the 19 years and 11 months, you know, and three weeks and six days uh, of work where nothing major went wrong. You know, we don't know the whole story. And I think that's the honest truth is that there's more to this story than uh, is out there. Currently, I think. Uh, even though there has been an investigation and the investigation showed that, you know, what had transpired was that he believed that there was an attack. And so he pushed the button or buttons or links or um, clicked on the links, however you, the actual system works. Um, and not because he he wanted to send the state into a, a panicked you know, hysteria, you know, he honestly believed that there was something wrong. And, you know, now he people are coming down on him for a mistake that, you know, no one else had the, was in the position to make other than him. Right. Sure. So when we get into, you know, oh, I wouldn't have done that or no one else would have done that except for him. It's just like, well, none of us were in that position. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if this man had been serving for 10 years or however long. And he had so many complaints about him. And, and, it comes down to the, the supervisor. Right. Like, you need, the supervisor needs to answer for why that guy's in the chair. Correct. Also, I, I think there's, the one thing that I noticed when I was reading that article, we talk about rewarding incompetence at the state government level. But to me, it's like a dog whistle that has been um, sort of, woven into the fabric of our public discourse that governments are somehow rewarding of incompetence. I mean, we and we act as if that's an isolated thing that organizations all over the world of all types, public, private, that they don't reward people who make mistakes, that they don't have people that make big mistakes. People are incompetent everywhere. People are incompetent everywhere mm -hmm. in all sorts of positions. And a lot of times that falls through the cracks. And I would disagree with with uh, slightly with with the characterization of this guy as having several years of loyal service because as you were bringing up, I mean, he had I don't know if it's necessarily complaints against him, but he had you know issues issues for a long time, and they were found and known about. Um, this guy, like he's he probably himself is a bad example, but to paint the entire Hawaii state government 
and the entire system with that guy's brush sure. is, is, is harsh. Uh, a slightly more local uh, regional article that ran, I think, yesterday in the Star Advertiser uh, by columnist Lee Cataluna, columnist playwright. Um, Wait, she wrote a play? She did. It's called, uh, what's it called? Folks You Meet in Longs or something like that? Is it good? I don't know. I've never I seen it. Know. I mean, it's not on Broadway. I, I mean, it's no Hamilton. Yeah. I I haven't seen either of those, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's no Hamilton. I guarantee it's no Hamilton. Uh, she, whereas, whereas I think Gene Park sort of couched his language in like, you know, he was trying to present both sides, trying to present, you know, the good about Hawaii as well as the bad. Lee Cataluna had no time for nuance. She just went in. So mm-hmm. the article starts, it, it seems like she's going after Lieutenant Governor for resigning. News, Lieutenant Governor resigned. Shan Satsui. See you later. Ahoy ho. Uh, and it flips, you know, it flips to who can blame him for leaving, and she just tears in to Governor Ige. Uh, I'll, I'll quote directly from the article. Tsutsui is an ambitious guy stuck in a do-nothing job, having to sit on his hands and watch David Ige, the worst governor Hawaii has ever had, squander the opportunity to lead. Yeah, I just called Ige the worst governor Hawaii has ever had. Before the debacle of the false missile alert, Ige seemed lame and ineffectual but basically benign. Now we know that he's dangerous. Now we know he's a liability. We know exactly what he's like in a crisis, how useless he is at thinking on his feet, how little it meant to him that so many people were scared. He knew right away it was a false alarm. What everyone in Hawaii was going through that morning didn't seem to matter much to him. In the weeks since, he has done little to redeem his image. Of course, Tsutsui's going to bolt. I wonder how much Colleen paid her to write that article. (laughs) So, Alan, you called it a hit piece. I did. Tell Um, me about it. So, it's totally a hit piece. It's totally a hit piece. Right. So when I first saw the article and, you know, I, you know, I, I read through it. Yeah. At first, I thought all oh, this is going to be about um, kind of the disappointment that many are feeling about Shan Satsui, who was the lieutenant governor, you know, leaving and kind of at a precarious time for yeah. the state. Or maybe even just like the kind of figurehead nature of the lieutenant governor position in Hawaii generally. Yeah. So, Alec, before let's back up real quick. For those listening who don't know, what does the Hawaii lieutenant governor actually do? So the Hawaii lieutenant governor serves two primary roles. The first role is to stand in the place of the governor if the governor is out of state or incapacitated. And then its second primary duty, um, as far as I know, is to be kind of our, our secretary of state and you know sign off on um, certain public documents, um, doing name changes. And that's it. You know, So the, there's not a lot of real meat to the lieutenant governorship and so you know i think i can see why a lot of people um, including the the person who wrote the article calls it you know do nothing kind of position um sounds like a gucci job though it sounds great because you know they're making money like you know they're getting paid okay Mm -hmm. and all you gotta do is sign off on name changes and fake like you're the real governor whenever he's gone like that's not a bad gig not bad at all you know when we see things in the Star Advertiser or even other major, you know, news sources here in Hawaii. For, so for people that don't know, here in Hawaii, we have kind of our, our local stations. So Hawaii News Now, Civil Beat, KITV. And for print, it's usually the Star Advertiser, um, at least on Oahu. I know the neighbor islands have, you know, their own um, publications. But when we see these um, news sources here in Hawaii, we're expecting to actually read news. And this was not a news piece. This was an opinion piece um, based upon the author's, um, you know, disappointment, not only with the lieutenant governorship, but then, you know, taking aim at the governor. And we understand that, you know, this is an election year and 
there was major you know newsworthy events that preceded the article coming out um, but again you know when i'm a, a reader of news articles in general what i'm looking for is to be informed about current events and this piece did not do any of that for me so i found it kind of a waste of space you know if you want to put it in uh, you know an opinion an op-ed you know or on, a facebook post or a blog or something like that um you know that's an in your personal capacity, that's great, but this person's job is to, you know, report the news, and again, they can get into the story, and they can do some investigation, but, you know, when you just sit at home or sit at the office without having done any research, investigation, didn't speak to anyone else, and you come up with a piece, how can you describe that piece news? I can't see how that is news. It felt to me like like an angry Facebook post. That's, I mean, it was a, you know, however long, 600 word, 1800 word, I don't know. That's, that's a big difference, but it's a, it was just, a, you know, several hundred word angry Facebook post that this author had uh, feelings strongly for and probably didn't need to necessarily insert them into our major publication. <clears throat> Some more local news. Uh, this happened last week. Leading up to this week, um, for those of watching from the mainland, a lot of stuff has been going on. They may not fully understand. Uh, we had we marked the 125th anniversary of the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian Kingdom by the United States, mm-hmm. and there have been uh, a number of high-profile incidents uh, that stirred up a lot of feelings. Um, Where the optics were just bad. The optics mm-hmm. were bad. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Keep know your audience. Yeah. Like know the context. Yeah. Um, so, very very brief summary, and then we'll get into it. Um, uh, a gentleman in court, district court on Maui, uh, a bench warrant was issued for his arrest because he insisted on putting his appearance in in Hawaiian, which is one of the two official languages in the state constitution. Uh, and also, uh, an interesting nod to this show, the hotel uh, where the Elvis movie Blue Hawaii was filmed at, and shout out to Marissa again for scooping us on the story as it was happening. The Coco Palms Hotel was recently purchased by the Hyatt Group, and they're trying to evict a group of young Native Hawaiians who are asserting their uh, property title to that land. Now, Alan, you're a young, educated Kanaka leader. What are Kanaka your means, for those of you who are not familiar, that is the Hawaiian word for basically uh, man of the people, woman of the people. Uh, people being the Hawaiian people. Kanaka Maoli. Kanaka Maoli. And because, Alan, the last thing people want to hear are two Howley guys ranting about this, uh, we want to hear some of your thoughts. Sure. Um, the first thing I like to say is, you know, this, you describe me as a young Kanaka Maoli leader. And, I, you know, I personally don't agree with that assertion of myself as a leader. Um, I don't want to say I speak on behalf of more people other than myself, um, just to clarify. Not, not to have you speak for all Native Hawaiians, but Alan, please speak for all Native Hawaiians. Right. And so, I mean, I'm glad that you guys asked me. Um, you know, I've been, you know, listening to your guys' show, and, um, you know, I'm glad that you guys are aware that we need perspective. And like you said, having two, you know, white males um, tell us about Hawaii is... You know, sort of tone deaf. Yeah, sort of tone deaf. Completely tone deaf. It's um, how we, uh, I believe it's actually how we got exactly in the situation in the first place. Right. Yeah. And so um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just shout out U.S. military. Shout out sugarcane plantation donors. No, 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 no. No, no shout outs. Not We're shout not out. shouting them out? No, unshout out. Oh. 
Unshout out. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the first thing I'll talk about is the what happened in the district court on Maui. Um, you know, there is a man who, and you know, a lot of people. Let's start by saying that he's not just some guy off the street. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy is a professor. You know, he's a very educated person, um, and he made his appearance in court by responding to the judge's, um, you know, question about whether he was present. He was pro se, as I understand it, and he responded to making his court appearance um, in the Hawaiian language, and the court um, refused to acknowledge his appearance. And, you know, if you don't appear for court, the judge can issue a bench warrant to make sure you do come to court. And so it was almost one of those things where we look at it like, you know, this guy is there. You know, it's not like he skipped town. It's not like he, you know, blatantly refused to acknowledge that the court had, you know, called him into um, into the courtroom. You know, he was there. Yeah, so the Maui prosecutors filed a motion that the hearing be conducted in English. Um, and I guess the judge had granted that, that motion prior to um the gentleman making his appearance so when he made his appearance and spoke in hawaiian you know the judge didn't acknowledge that he was present in court um as you guys said the optics of the whole um situation is kind of sets a bad precedent if you know like you said one week after um onipakako which was and again I, i want you know you guys said it right you know it was the 125th anniversary of the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom. And a lot of people that I've heard out there, especially those that aren't familiar, said, oh, it was a celebration. It is not a celebration. No. It, commemoration. Know, a commemoration, right? And and anyway, so, you know, there was some contention about how does that look when um, you pit the Hawaiian language and versus you know the the courts the american justice system right the american justice system and and correct me if i'm wrong but translators have been used people have entered appearances in hawaiian i know people have conducted entire trials in in hawaiian hawaiian should not be considered a foreign language a lot of the responses um especially for the judiciary so far you know if someone asks for an interpreter to be provided um that one be provided and i think the difficulty here is you're provided a interpreter, a language interpreter, uh, if you have limited English proficiency. And mm-hmm. that was a lot of, you know, where the Hawaiian lawyers that I know and other people that were re- really working on the issue were trying to dive into, like, how could they even do this? And, you know, you look at court rules and you look at, you know, statutes says, oh, you know, language interpreters will be provided for limited English proficiency. And I think in this case, it, it was something that um, the gentleman, he's not limited english right. proficient the, yeah. the idea from the judiciary being hey like yes you can have a translator but if you can speak enough english no translator i i don't necessarily think it's no translator but um you know they're not going to ask how proficient are you you mm-hmm. don't have to take a test and if you hit a certain score then you're like sorry we're not going to give you an interpreter or a, a translator um, but i think if you understand enough of the english language then you know you can get through the trial with the assistance mm-hmm. of your attorney. But if you're pro se, I can see how it's difficult. Now, going back to this gentleman, he um, had made appearances in front of this particular judge in the past. 
And as far as I understood, he made those appearances in English. You know, he's educated, as I said before, he's a professor, you know, so we know he can speak the English language. Now, that doesn't mean that the courts have the right to make him speak the English language. Right. No statute, no law says they can do that. Right. And even, uh, again, going back to the optics of it is if I'm a man living in Hawaii and I can speak the English language and the Hawaiian language, then I should be able to choose to express myself in whichever way I feel like it. Especially when the Hawaiian language is an official language of the state. I mean, it's not like, you know, he wasn't asking to speak Swahili right. when he could speak English, or he wasn't attempting to speak Swahili when he could speak English. He's he's speaking a, a language that the state has acknowledged that we will be able to do business in either of these two languages, and he mm -hmm. chose option B uh, or option A, however you decide to see it. I, I, I mean... It, it, he wasn't like you. I mean, you kind of hit on this earlier. It's not a foreign language. It's right. It's an official language. It's one of, the of our state, languages. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the onus shouldn't be on the man to speak the language that the employees speak, but rather on the employees to speak the official languages of the state of Hawaii, or to at least be able to conduct business in the languages in which it's statutorily required that we do so. Right. And I think there's there's other issues to consider. I don't want to make it seem like this is such a simple issue because it's not you know there's hundreds of years of kind of this back and forth where um you know why there was a point where hawaiian the hawaiian language the speaking of the hawaiian language was banned right yeah. and, and it almost totally died out and correct and and that gets to the crux of the whole thing too is that you know you have people who say well you know especially a lot of our mainland listeners or or people who are sort of of the homogenous american culture like myself where i came from if I if I just got off the plane here for the first time, I would go, well, like, what's the big deal? And the big deal is exactly what you guys are hitting on, that the language was outlawed, and consequently, fluent Hawaiian proficiency of the in the Hawaiian population, I mean, I of the Native Hawaiians that I know, I maybe know five who they would say, yes, I'm fluent enough to read and write pretty much everything in Hawaiian. I mean, it's it's essentially that's the net effect is that you lose your language, you lose your culture, you lose a piece of your identity, and like the state is essentially complicit in that in this case. Yeah, and and so other than that issue, again, there's there's other issues here, and um, and I try and see things from as many perspectives as possible. So mm -hmm. when people look at our judicial system, I think they also forget that, and how, like how again, how did the judge do this how could he be able to do this it's like you know you walk into the courtroom and you know courtrooms aren't the people's courtroom right they're they're courts of law and you know as the judge in that courtroom he is the one who has the discretion to run you know his court how he how he likes within reasonable guidelines mm -hmm. you know set by the judiciary itself you know so he saw that you know this gentleman was trying to you know turn his court of law into a room of political theater. I can see that that was his perspective. Again, I don't know if that to be true, but I can see how, you know, he frustration, did it. like, right. oh, not this again. Right. And, you know, the, the reason he was making this appearance, people forget, like, what was he making his appearance for? They, the bench warrant was issued because, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't present in court, right? But he was, there was a reason for him to have been there. And that has to do with, you know, Mauna Kea, I believe, or it might have been Haleakala, excuse me. Um, so, that, you know, that's another kind of high charge, you know, issue that we have going on. But kind of sticking to, you know, this, the the interpreter, like having access. A lot of people think that when you request an interpreter, 
that it's for the benefit of the person requesting it. And, you know, in this case, the defendant, like, oh, he needs this because, you know, he doesn't understand what, you know, the court is, the judge is saying, the prosecutor is saying. That's typically how we think an, of it. a request for an interpreter is seen. But I think in this case, and I think going forward, what we have to understand is, no, the interpreter isn't solely for the benefit of the person requesting it or the defendant. It's also for the benefit of the court, right? For the benefit of any jury that might be there. You can't the, you can't administer justice if you don't understand or if the defendant can't express themselves. Right. So it's about it's a back and forth. The translate the translation inter, or interpretation services is for the benefit of the entire court. Everyone that is present for that for a hearing trial, um, for whatever reason. And, you know, and I think that is kind of the narrative that we have to see going forward is that, no, this wasn't his request that an interpreter provide, be provided for him to translate the English language into Hawaiian so he could understand, which is typical for interpreting services. What the request was, was that he have access to an interpreter so that his views that he's going to express in Hawaiian be translated to English to serve the court. And I think that's how we have to kind of understand this issue. Now, the problem could be, well, you know, in the future, if we set this precedent that someone that already speaks English and understands what the court is saying to right. to him. Somebody's going to try to clog, you know, their DUI trial. They're just going right. to, you know, something like that. That's right. that's what people are saying is like the worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. You know, they're going to be, it's going to be a waste of money when every Joe Schmo is going to ask that, you know, the they have an interpreter provided in Hawaiian or in another language just because even though if they understand English, just to stick it to the, the court system, be like, hey, you know what? I know you have to provide this to me and you can't make me prove that I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, English proficient. So I'm going to, you know, make you provide it, even if that person himself might not speak Hawaiian, but they want a Hawaiian interpreter. So everything he says to, um, you know, the interpreter, they have to, you know, hear that in Hawaiian or, or vice versa. And, you know, I think. You know, I don't want to dig too much more into it because then it gets fuzzy um, about really what the issue is. So, you know, I spoke to a few of my friends in the legal community and like, you know, what would be the solution? So there are there's already a few routes that are happening. Um, one, the judiciary took it upon themselves to to address the issue. Shout out judiciary. Shout out CJ. Right. So they, you know, had um, the judge uh, recall his his bench warrant. So the bench warrant is no longer out there. Um, and they also are kind of ramping up the access of language interpreters or translators again um you can take that term however you want uh to better serve not only foreign languages but again you know hawaiian language access which i think is good um and then there are a few bills out there um in the legislature kind of addressing the issue to just to kind of put it in statute if those bills are passing you know if someone requests it that you know the courts you know, provide that service. Now, I don't know what that means, whether it's going to be discretionary, where it kind of is right now, whether it's going to be compulsory, if someone asks, you have to. Mm -hmm. um, and also, again, whether or not there's someone available to do that service. So I think at the end of the day, pushing forward so that there's more people who speak the Hawaiian language is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so whether or not that means, hey, we're going to teach more classes now, so that there's more interpreters. And, you know, again, these interpreters aren't going to be doing this for free. They'll get paid. So if you're someone who speaks the Hawaiian language, um, whether it's fluently or up to a certain proficient level, definitely go and check out um, on the judiciary's website yep. and, you know, sign up. You'll get calls to interpret, um, not only for the judiciary. I think once you get enrolled in this database, 
um, other sectors of um, public government, yeah. you know, if they need interpreters, you know, they, they can call you and say, hey, you know, we want someone that um, can provide this service. So going back to, again, what I spoke to some of the other routes. So one, the judiciary, you know, they take it upon themselves to the Hawaii State Legislature. But I think another route that can be taken is um, is kind of having the community understand that you know you have the right to speak English, you have the right to speak Hawaiian, you have the right to speak any language you want. So going into um, a place like the court, you know they can't force you to speak a language that you're unfamiliar or not proficient in. So you know you definitely have. The right to express yourself in in whatever language that you know you feel most comfortable with and mm -hmm. you know as long as you ask you know you make that ask like don't play dumb and don't acknowledge that you know yeah. they're and, gonna understand you and don't use it don't use it to you know clog up the system don't ruin it for everybody else right and so in, when i was talking about solutions to this and i think you know the the two routes that were already mentioned kind of do that but i think you know going forward like i think the court should also be able to um, have some kind of way for them to respond like um, legally to like you know whether this is going to be conducted in English or Hawaiian but I think basically they should allow that any party in a court case can just you know file a motion saying I want to you know represent myself or present myself in the Hawaiian language and that you know they're kind of the reverse of what the Maui prosecutors did in this mm -hmm. case you know they filed a motion that the hearing be conducted in English you know, it's just like, but I think that's the wrong narrative, right? You can't tell someone it has to be conducted in a language that they don't speak or they're not comfortable speaking. But they should tell you ahead of time what language they intend to speak. Right. I think both parties should just present that. And then if there's not this agreement that it's mm -hmm. going to be in English or Hawaiian or whatever language. Then defendant's choice. Then, no, then the courts provide uh, an interpreter for, for the defendant's choice um, so that there be this kind of meeting of the mind so that, hey, we're all on the same page that whatever I say as a defendant is going to be understood by opposing counsel, by the courts, by the clerk, by the jury, you know, and, and there not be any kind of hesitance about forcing someone to speak in a language that they don't feel comfortable doing. Awesome. And just to clarify, listeners, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, basically on Maui, uh, Haleakala, the largest mountain on Maui, former volcano, uh, shout out former volcano, shout out, shout out dormant volcanoes, shout out volcanoes. Generally uh, the, the, yeah. He was protesting um, the installation or the planned installation of a new ginormous telescope mm -hmm. on Haleakala. Uh, similarly, uh, everybody has probably heard about over on Mauna Kea on the Big Island, the largest mountain in the state. Same issue with the the TMT, the thirty meter telescope. Mm -hmm. Alan, what do you what do you what do you see what do you see out there? Potential solutions. What do you think might happen? You know, I think there has to be a larger conversation about. Um, the role of Hawaiian culture and values um, within this kind of American system. And, you know, without touching too much upon the controversy of the illegal overthrow and, and like the wounds that it, it still that are still there from from that, you know, a lot of people want independence. A lot of people want, you know, a nation to nation you know, yeah. kind of relationship that the restoration Hawaiian, of the Hawaiian kingdom. Right. And there's a lot of other people too, when they want independence, you know, there is some truly, you know, we want the restoration of the kingdom as if that's the, the government style we want. And there's others who want independence or sovereignty, but in this, you know, contemporary context, we're like, you know, we don't need to, you know, beholden to 
a king and a queen or to the laws that they were mm-hmm. prior to the overthrow obviously the entire world has moved forward so you know to think that there's no changes to governing structure or you know laws and a lot of people use that as kind of like oh you don't want to you want to go back to you know how things were and you know what about you know all these all, all the negative things like oh how can you say you you want to go back to a system that you know had this kind of you know kapu on certain things like oh you know you want men and women to dine separately or you know you can't curse and oh there is the the punishment isn't you know what we're used to you know so there's that whole thing and again i don't want to go too much into it but there has to be an understanding and i don't know if we're going to get there right now there is kind of um too much of a gap because there is many who believe that you know, we have to accept that, you know, the the presence of the United States and that we are a state, the state of Hawaii now, not the kingdom of Hawaii or the nation of Hawaii or some independent body of native Hawaiian. People's Republic of Hawaii. Right. Democratic um, People's Republic of Hawaii following our communist insurgency. Well, yeah. So going back to the, um, the Monarchy and Haleakala issue, you know, there has been same, it's the same kind of thing. It's like if we don't understand Hawaiian culture and values, um, you know, whether or not we think you know Mauna Kea and Haleakala are sacred versus it becomes it it becomes kind of adversarial that it's a a fight between you know the Hawaiian religion or Hawaiian culture versus science and that's kind of a heavy issue to think that you know those two things can't be reconciled mm-hmm. and you know there already are telescopes you know on on these mountains and but at what point do we say you know enough is enough enough is enough and not only that they we always get sold you know, this, this, a bag of goods that say, you know, you guys are going to be so happy to have the largest telescope in the world. And you guys are going to be a part of history and you guys are going to help science and, you know, astronomy and, and all these other, you know, areas of science that, you know, you guys are going to be the, the leaders in this area. Like, why, why aren't you happy? Why do you want to stop progress? Or they, they throw out this old adage that, oh, you know, you know, former rulers of Hawaii were really interested and really supported of, yeah. of the science or astronomy, and they would have wanted yeah. you guys or to to have these telescopes on there. Take it, take it back all the way. Oh, Polynesian voyagers navigated by stars. Right. This is a natural, like this is a natural coming full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I really don't. Again, I I don't want it to be to seem that Hawaiian culture is resistant to you know advances in science and being all for you know, supporting things like the 30 meter telescope, but there has to be some balance. And we we're seeing that the balance is tipped into almost, it's, it's not, it's, it's now it's almost offensive. And I think that's where a lot of Hawaiians are at is that despite us, you know, earnestly telling you, Hey, you know, the, the mountain, um, you know, is sacred. And, you know, if we can do this in a way that is culturally appropriate, then we're okay with it. And again, there's, there's definitely, you know, others in the, the realm that it'll never be appropriate. And, you know, I'm not that type of person. I feel like there can be compromise. But, you know, again, how do we deal with when two, you know, unwavering forces are going to just collide, you know? And I think that's where we're at is you're either pro-Hawaiian and pro-Hawaiian religion and culture or you're pro-science. We made it a binary issue. Right. And it doesn't have to be is what you're saying. Right. And I think, you know, again, that's and the narrative that they're saying is that, oh, you know, past Polynesian voyagers and Hawaiian rulers, you know, wanted to be on the forefront of these things, doesn't mean that they would sell, Mm -hmm. you know, culture down the road 
to make room. You know, there can be room for both. And I think so. Again, I don't speak for everyone, but I think that's where the issue is. And, um, you know, there's some some legislation out there um, specifically related to Mauna Kea that I think um, I find interesting. And that is to create a Mauna Kea management authority um, and transfer the authority from the university to this like kind of governing body that has representatives from the native Hawaiian community as well as from the scientific community and so that at least they can kind of work together and I think that talks more of the bigger issue of Hawaiian um, specific controversies that we seem to, to have quite frequently here you know whether it's in the courtrooms with Hawaiian language access whether it's about respecting um, native Hawaiian religion or as I see it more you know culture um, and values as well versus you know how do we deal with um, just the day-to-day -day goings of a lot of people who feel that they're you know they've been colonized or they've been um, put into a situation where they're um, oppressed in a way that affects you know their day-to-day -day when and they you know people say like oh I don't see it like you have a job, you know, you got an education, you're, you're doing fine. Yeah, like what's, what's the issue? But the issue is when you, you know, go and practice your traditional rights and you get arrested. Mm -hmm. And then when you make your court appearance, you get a bench warrant when you answer in Hawaiian. And so there's, there's kind of these symbolic gestures to the Hawaiian people. You know, there's the apology resolution from, you know, President Clinton. 1993. And we also have, you know, in the Constitution, it has all oh, Hawaiians unofficial state language. You have these things that, in practice, aren't really being respected. No. So. But but, people who are doing the disrespecting point to them and saying like, why aren't you satisfied? Right, and you know, it's easy for people to critique, um, you know, the Hawaiian people who they think is just it's oh they're just being so unreasonable, and you know. Until you remember that this is their land. Right. Yeah, they're the this host culture. This is their birthright. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, Josh and I, obviously, we have no Hawaiian blood. From but, one from one settler colonist to another. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, from but the two of us, like, I, I think I'm sure people are more likely to say those types of comments to us or we've heard them more. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, this we have no claim to this place other than yeah. by virtue of the legal system that was set up and then forced upon imperialized it yeah i mean there's this it's not like i mean essentially that's you know it could maybe that gets into a broader uh conversation about boundaries and borders and governmental systems in general but certainly this place that these people you know that these people came to by canoe from the western pacific ocean and found this like paradise that they stewarded for a thousand years before anybody ever showed up. And then all of a sudden, and you know, the last relative blink of an eye, we're going to tell them, Hey, we saw Moana once you need to let us build some telescopes on your Holy land. I mean, if the same, if you flip this around, it's a little tone deaf, if you flip it into a more majoritarian cultural perspective, I mean, if, if somebody said, Hey, we're going to build a telescope at, you know, the Hill on Calvary, or we're going to put a, you know, a telescope right in the middle of the, right on top of the obelisk at Mecca. Or we're going to build a telescope, you know, at the temple in Jerusalem. Like, people would be upset about it. 
Uh, and because those people have more, they're more enfranchised in the global narrative, they get the ability to talk oh, about it. They have a louder microphone. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, again, I, I like to have as much perspective as I can. So there comes a point where I, I get frustrated too mm -hmm. um, at, at all parties involved that, you know, we really can't come to an understanding. And again, you know, I don't want to put that burden on other Hawaiians like, oh, be more understanding of the way that sure. the colonizers are telling us yeah. to be understanding. Yeah. Um, but there is, you know, factions within the Hawaiian community that, you know, want this kind of, you know, pure, like, sovereign, they can't tell us what to do, this is a fake state, like, if anyone, if anyone you know works for the state government or the federal government in any capacity, Treason. or gets a, or gets a, on a Hawaii driver's license or Complicit. accepts money yeah. and puts money into a bank or, you know, it's, those are people that are, you know, have a treasonous, you know, it's not Pono. And, you know, I don't like to use those terms. One, because I feel like, again, I I don't speak for all Hawaiian people. You know, again, I don't I, I don't think I'm the prototypical Hawaiian, at least not a Hawaiian that works on these types of issues. You know, I like I said earlier, I speak, I work in state government. You know, I grew up in this kind of Americanized system. And, you know, I luckily I've come to the understanding that, you know, I know these things that have happened in the past are wrong. And I know that currently there are issues in the Hawaiian community or in the state of Hawaii community at large as well, that there has to be a little bit more understanding of where other people are and not not just to for their benefit, but also for your benefit so that when you approach them in a way in which you can lead to some some kind of you know, not, not, not no longer an understanding, but some kind of solution to, um, you know, these issues, then, you know, we can get there. But if we're not, if we never have an understanding about why the other side feels or thinks the way they do, then we'll never ever, I think, get to a point where we're all in agreement that we live in this shared space, not just Hawaii, the state, but on this, on this planet, the archipelago and right. the state, yeah, no, the I mean, planet, the, yeah. The, the entire planet. Yeah, we're going to go like large scale. I think, you know, there's much more to be said about that. And I think, you know, again, I'm not the, the authority on this. And there are a lot of people who disagree heavily with the things I say. And that's okay, because I'm just one person. And, you know, I, I, that's the, the type of thing I'm trying to say is, I understand, like, my role is, is limited. And um, your folks' role is limited. And just having these discussions aren't bad. But it's when people hear something they disagree about, disagree about that, they take it as like a slight to them personally. Mm -hmm. How dare you? Yeah, and they. I'm not. I'm disengaging now. Right. I'm totally disengaging. They don't. Like, they forget don't, it. They don't they, they take look it at to, it as me and you rather than I and I. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's the sense is that you know if you said one thing at one time that I disagreed with that I can you can never take that moment back. So I'm gonna hold that against you. Yeah. Forever. Um, and that's a, a more toxic narrative that we touched on in our last episode actually uh, just briefly about you know in our in our virtue signaling type of national conversation right now um which is obviously trickled down into the local context i mean it it almost it's rather than celebrating the diversity of opinion and disagreement it's turned into a 
if you disagree with me, that's a divisive thing and yeah. it's me versus you. And we live in we live in two different worlds now. We don't even have to agree on we can't debate anymore because you don't agree on the same set of starting facts. Yeah, and I yeah, so I think it doesn't just apply it to Hawaii or Hawaii no. issues. No. I think we see it, you know, everywhere. We see it nationally, we see it globally. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um and you know how in a on a day to day basis, you know, whether it's interactions with people, um, whether it's, you know, through what I do at work or, you know, things I, I see on the media, whether it's social media, print media, um, online, you know, whatever the, the, the platform is, is that it's almost like why I, I want the other side of the way, way I'm feeling to understand where I'm coming from. So I try the hardest that I can to understand where they're coming from. And I can kind of see it, you know, we, you know, there's so much to, to compile about why they think that way versus why I think this way, you know, but the problem is when they're not willing to take the time to be like, Oh, why, why, why could someone possibly think opposite of me? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think if we, we work on that and it takes time and it takes really the willingness from both sides or, or not, I shouldn't say size, but from everyone involved to, you know, have that, you know, that take that as an undertaking um, to get to a place of, again, understanding. Um, and, but like you said, you know, there's always going to be this us against you mentality as long as we allow there to be, mm-hmm. right? So we got to um, listen more. You know, so having a two party system, you know, national politics, or even having this. Hawaiian versus non-Hawaiian context here in the islands, um, which know, is a real context. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real thing, and you know, but it's not the only thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not. You know, there's life is complex, right? and we like everywhere we turn, people are only presenting us with binary choices. Right. Alan, thanks so much, man. Thanks yeah. for coming. Thanks no, for thank stopping you guys. by. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Shout outs. Shout outs. Rest in peace, New York Yankee. Hall of Fame legend Oscar Gamble. They don't think it be like it is, but it do. Passed away this week. My favorite ever New York Yankee. Very short list. Uh, also, best, Josh is a noted Red Sox fan. Best Afro in sports. Excuse me. Best Afro in baseball, possibly sports. Uh, honorable mention to Marwan Fellaini of Manchester United, even though he is a bad person who plays for a bad team. His Afro <laughs> game is on point. Yep. Uh, and Chevy Chase in the movie Fletch. Uh, in his Lakers dream, he was, I believe, 6'5", six, 6'9", six, with the afro. Uh, so, Oscar, big ups to you. And then my restaurant recommendation of the week. Because you know we're going to give you one. Because I'm going to give you one. Silk Road Cafe on Merchant Street. If you've ever had Uzbek food, as in from Uzbekistan, as Herman Cain would say, Ubeki Beki Stan Stan, go check it out. It's like... To my totally naive and unsophisticated palate, I would describe it as a cross between Russian food, Indian food, and Chinese food, mm. and it's real damn good. Uh, Maybe with a little with a little bit of Turkish thrown in there too. My restaurant shout out this week is going to be for Bonsai Burrito on Bishop Square. It's only open seven thirty to ten thirty in the morning. Their breakfast burritos are fire. They've got a choice between bacon, spam, Portuguese sausage, and veggie options. They serve flour and spinach tortillas. Um, They also have this delicious stuff called Baja sauce. And it is phenomenal. $6.50 gets you a huge burrito that will fill me up from 
breakfast all the way through lunch up until about like three, four o'clock and I start getting pretty hungry. But yeah, Bonsai Burrito. Check them out. Go to them. Rate them on Yelp. Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Skr, skr. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.